Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 97 of ADHD for Smartass Women. In this episode, I am going to introduce you to Michelle Nichol. Michelle earned a degree in liberal arts and followed that up with an MBA. She went to work for a major brokerage firm at the age of 25. At that time, the brokerage industry was inundated with men. Only 6% of financial advisors were women. Along the way, she earned an AAMS, which is an accredited asset management specialist, I'm assuming certificate, Michelle will tell us, and CFP certified financial planner, in addition to holding a Series 7, 63, and 66 securities licenses. Working in a small town, she did everything from making sure little old ladies didn't run out of money. She designed retirement plans. She set up college savings accounts and everything in between. Her favorite thing to do is to take a giant pile of financial statements and data and turn it into a comprehensive and workable plan for her clients. And if you're anything like me, you're thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds like pure living hell. <laughs> Michelle learned how to manage investments from her company, but managing day-to-day finances was harder especially because she also has ADHD. She learned a lot of that the hard way and sometimes felt like she was her own worst client. After 23 years of working as an advisor, Michelle was able to retire at the age of 48, which is what she's in the process of doing right now. Her husband continues to work, even though she keeps telling him he doesn't have to. She has two teenage boys, both of whom have ADHD. And Michelle and I actually have a little secret. That is not really her name. She's going incognito. (laughs) She has accepted a pay package that lasts four years and prohibits all sorts of things, including non-firm approved interviews. And of course, she didn't want to jeopardize that. So Michelle is not really Michelle, but she's coming armed with a lot of tips for those of us who have difficulty managing money. So welcome, Michelle. And did I get all that right? You did. 
So is the AAMS, and I should know this because, you know, I was a securities attorney at one time, a finance attorney, if you can believe that. Um, I remember Series 7, but AAMS, is that a certificate? Is that what you call that? Or It's a designation. It's a designation. Okay. So it would be that you earned an AAMS and a CFP designation. Correct. Okay. So Michelle, I have been looking for a good year for someone to come onto this podcast and talk to us about money and how to manage it, but in a fun way that works for our brains. So you have agreed to give us some great tips, but before we go there, I really want people to get an opportunity to know you first. So can we talk about ADHD? Sure. So tell me, when were you diagnosed? I wasn't diagnosed until I was about 35, 36. So I kind of always knew that I had it. People didn't start talking about ADHD until I was in high school. And I heard about it and thought, that's what I have. I have that. But I function pretty well. I figured out my own workarounds in college. And so I never really bothered to get diagnosed until <laughs> I'm sure everybody remembers the Great Recession um, in 2008 and 2009. So the market fell by better than half. And Hurricane Katrina, which happened right around the same time, demolished my husband's business. And I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And every day I went into work, and clients were so upset and they they wanted me to fix it. And you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. You just have to wait it out. It was the most stressful time of my life. And I was like a deer in the headlights and I, I had to do something. And so in desperation, I went to a psychiatrist and he diagnosed me as having ADHD. And I took meds for at least a while. And honestly, at that point, I mean, my life was such chaos that the meds just brought me back to like regular ADHD. <laughs> but that was good enough. So I bet there was not only ADHD, but probably a lot of anxiety brought about just because you're managing all these people's money and they're all freaking out. Yes. Yes. It was really hard. And you know, I know it's hard for me to not do anything, but sometimes when the market goes crazy, the thing to do is to not do anything. But you know, clients kind of needed someone to yell at and it's hard to yell at the market. And so I was it. So I do well in a crisis, but it was crisis 24 seven for two years straight. Yeah. And I think too, for, well, anybody who's listened to this podcast at all knows that I always talk about positive emotion and that we're gold star people. And I cannot imagine two years of your clients and all you hear is the negative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are you combined type then? Are you hyperactive and inattentive? I think so. Yes. Okay. Because the fact that you're 48 and you're telling me, though, in high school, you actually heard what ADHD was. So you would have probably heard more classical kind of teenage boy type symptoms. Yes. And for you to relate to that, I would expect that there had to be some hyperactivity. Oh, yes. I got kicked out of gymnastics when I was six years old because I couldn't stand in line. And 
the very nice instructor explained to my mother that they could either deal with me or deal with the whole rest of the class, but not both. So I had to go. Oh, a little sick girl. And did you love gymnastics? I did. I did. You know, being hyperactive, I was running and jumping and it was a really great outlet for me only, you know, I couldn't stand in line. So. Oh my God. That is, and you would have probably been their best gymnast. That's the, the, <laughs> uh, the disgraceful part of all this, you know, <laughs> you had so much passion yeah. and interest in it. And Oh, I'm so sorry about that. So, so tell me now with hindsight, you know, you got diagnosed at 35 when you looked back and you probably didn't even need the diagnosis because it sounds like you already knew, but what were the things in your childhood that you thought, okay, I've got ADHD now looking back? Well, you know, like everybody else, who has ADHD, I think I got a million report cards that says um, so much potential, can't pay attention in class, doesn't turn work in, that sort of thing. Jumping from one thing to another, easily distracted. You know, but I, I am a very determined person. And so I really, um, I think I sort of hit it well because of my sheer doggedness and determination to get done what I wanted to get done. Yeah, I I talk about this all the time, that drivenness is a form of hyperactivity. And when I connected those two things, that's when I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's ADHD because of the fact that I did well in school. Granted, I always had to work harder, but I did really well. And so I would have never seen that it was ADHD, but for the fact that it's like, oh, drivenness is hyperactivity because I'm like crazy about, you know, in that vein. And you can relate to that. Absolutely. So you did well in school. Was it easy for you or did you have to work really hard? School is really easy for me. So I really like academics. I really like to read. I made pretty good grades with very little studying. So yeah, so I did really well in school. Did you struggle at all with social relationships? Yes. (laughs) In what way? I had a lot of trouble maintaining friendships. I think that I was um, socially immature. And it took me a long time to develop social skills. And most of my social skills came from book learning. You know, um, somebody recommended um, how to win friends and influence people when I was in college. And I read it and I was like, oh, I get it. You know, I people with ADD have so much stuff going on in their heads all the time. I think it's very difficult. It was difficult for me anyway to pay attention to social clues, you know? Like it's very difficult for me to look at someone and have any idea what they're thinking at all. So I was forever saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. You know, and I mean there were situations where like I would be at a party and I needed to get away, you know, and I couldn't think of like a polite way to say, excuse me, I see someone else I have to talk to, I have to go, you know, so I think I came off as rude, but I didn't know how else to be until I read that book. And that was very helpful for me. It was like the translation. Well, and that's interesting too, because if you tell me that, you know, intensity is part of your personality, like, you know, a trait that you have, I can so relate to that because we tend to make a beeline for what it is that we want, right? So you can be speaking with someone and, you know, 
it's great and it's maybe a little boring because it's, you know, the typical social niceties. And then someone else walks in the room that you actually really want to speak with. And it's like, there's just this disconnect. You just got to go, right? Yes. <laughs> Which can be, you know, perceived as, as rude at times. I struggle sometimes with the opposite of that, where I feel so bad that I just, you know, I don't want to be there, but I feel like I have to be there. And then I'm not listening to what they're saying because my, my brain is really over with that person I really want to speak with. Yeah, I totally get that. So was college pretty easy for you or did you do that typical ADHD thing first year where, you know, you really struggle because not only do you have school, but you have to take care of yourself and do your laundry and make sure you're fed and all of those things. College was pretty easy for me. I was in a liberal arts program, so it was a lot of reading and writing papers and discussion, and that's totally up my alley. So that was easy for me. I mean, there were workarounds like I cannot take notes. I cannot do it, you know, and so I would sit next to someone who was a fabulous note taker and make some kind of excuse about why I needed to borrow their notes to copy them. And I would just read them. And if I could listen in class and read the notes, that's really all I needed to do to do well on a test. But I cannot take notes. I can't do it. <laughs> well, but you figured you figured out workarounds. And, you know, the beauty of school today is they do have note takers, which I can only imagine, man, if if I could have had a note taker, then I could have paid better attention when I was actually in class instead of trying to constantly catch up with what they were saying to write it down. That would have been so helpful for me. Because, you know, the other thing is, you know, I I tried so hard to listen to the whole lecture, but, you know, you, you hear something interesting and then you start thinking about what that relates to and you miss a whole section of the lecture. So, yes, yeah, someone to take notes for me would have been an amazing benefit. So, Michelle, how did you end up as a broker? Like, what did that path look like? And what's interesting to me, too, is you've done it for 23 years, which is not so ADHD. <laughs> so, my, um, my grandmother was killed in a car accident when I was in college. And we were astounded to discover that she had a huge estate. My grandmother grew up very poor. And um, she married my grandfather just before World War II, and he died. And she raised two children on a secretary's salary and managed to save money and prepare so well. And the, But the thing that broke my heart is that nobody ever helped her. You know, like I went to visit when I was in college and I I kid you not, she was walking around in her house in her underwear in Louisiana in the summertime, okay? It was like 150 degrees outside, and she was trying to save money on the power bill. And she wanted to go to Hawaii, and she never did because she didn't understand that what she had was enough. Mm. And she had plenty. Like, and, you know, my parents were really happy to receive the legacy. However, I know they wish that she had done the things that she wanted to do. 
that she didn't know she could. She was so afraid of running out of money. And Mm -hmm. if only somebody had taken the time to sit down with her and say, this is how much you can safely spend. I wanted to do that. You told me that at the time um, that you decided to become a broker, there were so few women doing this. Was that part of it? Uh, No. Ah, no. (laughs) Honestly, I can tell you that I, um, there were a lot of headwinds to success for me. And to be honest, that is what I wanted to do. And I didn't even see the obstacles. Okay. I was going to do it. And that's all there was to it. So can I ask, had you always been good with money? Was part of it at all the fact that you struggled or you didn't really understand it and so you wanted to figure it out? Or are you just naturally good at that? I think I'm just naturally good with money. Money has always been very interesting to me. One of the things I I did think about when choosing a career is I wanted to choose a career that would be helpful to me in the rest of my life, you know, and being good with money is such a useful thing to do. But yeah, I've, I've always been a saver. I haven't always been very good at managing the day-to-day money thing. Like I have paid many a late fee on a bill that I forgot to pay. I will tell you that. But as far as being a good saver, I've always been a good saver and I'm pretty frugal too. So I want to point out that we all have these interest-driven brains, but the beauty of ADHD is that what we're interested in and therefore brilliant at is always different. And I think a lot of people think that if you have ADHD, you can't be possibly be good with numbers or you can't possibly be good with money. And that is simply not true. If that's your area of hyperfocus, you're just brilliant at it. And a lot of women probably never even consider that it might be ADHD as well because they're so great at managing money or they're so brilliant at math. And so you clearly are just naturally good at managing money. You had an interest in it. I'm assuming you had a lot of other skills that made you really successful. So I want to know, what do we need to know about money and managing it from someone who has ADHD? Well, I think that people with ADHD have harder than average difficulty with making decisions. So I recommend that you automate everything you can, okay? And saving money is not the thing that you do at the end of the month with whatever is left in your checkbook. That never works. You're going to spend everything and it's going to be another month that you didn't save for retirement or savings or anything else, okay? So you need to automate everything that you can. So I recommend that you automate putting money in savings every month and go ahead and sign up for a retirement plan at work if you have one, okay? Years ago, um, most jobs had a pension. So when people retired, they had a pension, they had Social Security, and that was enough money, okay? Nowadays, most people don't have pensions, okay? The average Social Security check in the U.S. is $1,400 a month. I cannot live on $1,400 a month in retirement. And even if you can, you probably don't want to. If you don't save money for retirement, and I do mean right now, 
Okay. You're not going to enjoy your retirement the way that you want to. So nowadays there's a fantastic feature with most people's 401k and retirement plan that you can go ahead and sign up to contribute, say 5% and code it to raise your contribution every month until you get to the, the savings percentage that you want to be at. Okay. You should never, ever save less than 10%. I honestly recommend 12 to 15% for women is a better number. When do you start this? I mean, right out of the gate, but what ideally you should listening? start with your very first paycheck ever. Okay. What about for those of us who haven't done that, then what is the next thing that we need to do? Like if you're 45 and you have no savings. If you're 45 and you have no savings, you need to remember the old adage that the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The second best time to start is now. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you'll probably want to save a little bit more than somebody right out of school if you can. Okay. I would absolutely put some money in savings every month, but your retirement is, you have to do that. So you're saying the first thing you do is you pay yourself. It's not Absolutely. whatever you've got left over because you're never going to have anything left over. Correct. So people think that saving for retirement is optional, but I'm telling you that unless you want to be poor when you're old, it is not optional. You have to do it. Consider it a bill and go ahead and schedule it out of your checking account every single month. If you can, have your employer take it out and put it in your retirement plan pre-tax, okay? So there's a couple of good things about this. One is it's going to reduce your taxes. So if you're in the 25% tax bracket and you put $1,000 in your 401k, you would have only gotten to spend $750 anyway, because that $250 would have gone to the IRS for taxes, okay? So you are lowering your income for tax purposes by saving for retirement, and you're preventing yourself from being poor when you're old, which is also a good thing. What do you do if you're self-employed? There are lots of retirement plans for self-employed persons. You can set up a SEP. You could also set up a SIMPLE. Those are two retirement plans that closely mimic an individual IRA, but have much higher contribution limits, okay? So with a regular IRA, you can put in $6,000 a year. With a SEP IRA, you can put in a whole lot more. Um, but it's the same principle. It's going to come right off your tax bottom line. What was the second one you said? You said there was a SEP and then there was another one. A simple IRA. Simple? Uh, yes. Um, it's an acronym. I can't remember what it stands for right now. So it is it is designed for businesses with a small number of people. It works like a 401k in that the owner is going to make a small match to all the employees, okay? But the employer, if you make $13,000, you can put all $13,000 in that simple, which reduces your taxable income to zero. So it's a great tax reduction strategy and also is going to help you save for retirement. And so what is the difference then between the SEP and the simple? 
in a simple plan, all of the employees get to contribute for themselves. So if you, if you are the business owner and you have three employees, you give them the option of whether or not to save from their check. Okay. If you open a SEP, SEPs are very commonly open for single business owners and for family only businesses. Because if you open a SEP and you give yourself 20% of your income, you have to give every single employee you have 20% of their income as well. Okay. So it would get very expensive if it were a business with a lot of employees. So a SEP is more for like solopreneurs. Yes. Okay. Versus as simple as if you've got an actual, you have employees. Correct. Okay. So here's one thing um, that is a lately trend that I think is great for people with ADHD. So in your 401k, you're going to have to go in and choose some investment options. So a very fashionable investment option here lately is target date funds or retirement funds. Okay. So if you are a person, you're not totally into investments and you're probably not going to check on this regularly, there is a target date fund for you. Okay. So all you got to do is figure out when you think your retirement year is, and there's going to be like a target date 2045 or target date 2050. Okay. It will adjust over time to a good investment waiting for you. If you would like to be a little bit more aggressive than average, then just pick a slightly longer time frame than you think you actually have. If you want to be a little bit more conservative, pick a target date fund that is going to retire with a date that's slightly shorter than what your actual retirement date is expected to be. That way, you don't have to worry about reevaluating your investment weightings or diversification strategy every single year. Because honestly, if you have ADHD, you're probably not going to do that anyway. You know, the beauty of this is <laughs> this idea of automating everything. And I, I know this works. If you just set it up once, you will probably forget that you're even doing it, right? You do. You absolutely um, do. You don't forget you have that peace of mind that you know that this is being automatically done and you don't have to worry about it. Now, what about the woman who is listening to this podcast and, you know, we're in a pandemic. She is literally living paycheck to paycheck. She has bills out the wazoo and she's using credit cards just to kind of get by. Like, what does she do? Where does she even start? Would you go back to savings regardless? It doesn't matter. You have to set up a savings account. To be honest, you know, when you find yourself in the hole, the first thing to do is stop digging. Okay. So I would not do that in that case. I would start simplifying bills and try and increase your income and decrease your expenditures until you are meeting your current obligations. Are you familiar with Karen McCall? No, I don't think so. She has written a book called Financial Recovery. She's a lovely woman. I think she's in her late 70s, maybe 77. So maybe that's not late 70s yet. But she said something. It would, it would be the converse of what you're saying, but I found it so interesting. What her suggestion is, is that what we tend to do, first of all, is 
you know, we ratchet up our credit cards because we can't pay our bills. And then we get a little bit of a ahead. So we pay down our credit cards and then we have another bump in the road. You know, cars need tires, you know, whatever happens life basically. And so we ratchet our credit cards back up again. And so her comment is, even when you're in a situation where you are not able to make ends meet, you still should be saving and building up a small savings account. So you're not constantly doing that, paying off the credit cards, ratcheting them up again, paying them off, you know, so you're basically self-funding. So if there is something, an unexpected expense, that you're paying it out of your own savings rather than constantly going back and forth with the credit cards. I'm just curious what you think about that. You know, I hadn't really thought about that. That's worth thinking about. I just thought it was such an interesting concept because, and and especially for ADHD women, especially for those of us that, you know, feel like, you know, we can't make ends meet. Part of the insecurity and the anxiety is that there is no nest egg whatsoever, right? Yes. So it's always this, you know, reacting to these things that come along. And I, I just would think that the fear of that would just create more anxiety. I think you're right. And I think, you know, people need to stop thinking of savings as optional. It's not optional. You have to, period. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's kind of what you're saying, right? That you pay yourself first. Absolutely. Every time. Okay. Do you have any advice? I mean, I just know. I just know how y'all think. And I sound like I'm from the South, don't I? Uh, (laughs) I had a roommate from New Orleans when I lived in Georgetown. I was doing my master's in law. And she was from New Orleans. And literally within a month of us being roommates, I sounded just like her. I don't know what it is about me, but I adopt (laughs) the accent of whomever I'm speaking with. (laughs) But now I digressed and I can't remember what I was thinking. Oh, so what about, I mean, I'm looking at this and thinking, you know, I'm married to a banker. Thank God. If I wasn't married to a banker, I'm not like you at all, Michelle. It is not, this does not come easy for me. In fact, I get hives when I think about it. But if I was by myself, I know that I would hear about, oh, you know, you need to open up a SEP or a Simple or an IRA. And I guess if I was with a company, it'd be a lot easier because I could just go into, would you go into human resources? Is that where you'd go and say, sign me up? Yeah. So when you start working at a company, the HR department or the benefits department hands you a packet and it's got your medical stuff and your 401k and all this other stuff. And a lot of times you're not eligible for a 401k until you've been there for, I don't know, six months. Okay. Then all they do is they usually give you a password, which involves your social security number and you log onto the website and sign up. It's easy. Okay. They make it super simple. Okay. That one I could, I could do. And I remember doing it actually. I think the last time I was employed by someone was when I was with the uh, SEC as an attorney. So that's how long ago that was. I forgot about that. But what about for those of us, because a lot of us are self-employed, like what is the easiest way to do this without, I mean, the whole idea of it gives me hives to be honest. So for people with ADD who are self-employed, Yes, you are probably more impulsive than average, and you are probably a little more emotional than average. And we live in the moment, right? Yes. So we think we always have forever. We yes. don't see time. And, and that, I think, is the big issue that, oh, we've got plenty of time. And then all of a sudden, you look back and it's been three decades. 
Yes, agreed. So I have met people in my career that did not need to work with a financial advisor, but if you have ADD, you probably do. So I recommend that you go find yourself a good financial advisor who speaks your language and talk to them about what you need and get them to set it up for you and have them draft the contributions out of your checking account. Okay. So you are going to need a financial advisor to bounce ideas off of. When you get nervous about the market, you are going to need somebody to talk to about that. A good financial advisor um, can be a huge help in helping you envision what your retirement's going to look like in purchasing appropriate investments, that sort of thing. So, Michelle, what if you can't afford a financial advisor? I mean, literally, I'm just thinking pandemic. Is there any app that you can set up that easily so that you can start that savings? Like, what do those women do if you literally cannot afford a financial advisor? You're just trying to get your kids fed at this point. Okay, so you're thinking that a financial advisor is hugely expensive, okay? So (laughs) you can walk into an independent brokerage firm or a small brokerage office and start out with contributing $250 a month. I'm not kidding, okay? And when you come out, you will have a plan for retirement, okay? Setting up your own retirement plan I'm thinking it's, it's, there's a whole lot of steps there. <laughs> okay. So, so what you are saying is because you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm thinking about the last time years ago, I think right when the kids were born, we set all that up and I do remember it as being expensive, but I'm assuming all of that has probably come down because of the internet. I mean, is that like, it has. give us a name, it has. like, okay. If you are that person who, let's say you're a single mom, you're just making ends meet, you know you need to do this, where would you go? Can you give us a name? What would you do? Oh, um, okay. So so most banks have an investment department. So if you are comfortable going to your bank, you could do that. Raymond James, Edward Jones, AG, oh, Edward, AG Edwards is gone. Those types of places will cater to a smaller investor and will give you the service that you need. If you go online and try and set this up, the first they're gonna, thing they're going to ask you is, what kind of account do you want? Do you yeah, know what kind of account you want? You don't know what no. kind of account you want. No. How are you going to choose an investment if you do this online? I mean... <laughs> It's you know what though I love I love Michelle that your first step is just go find someone and do something super simple like I'm going to save two hundred and fifty dollars a month. Yes. We can all do that. Okay, so you gave Raymond James. What was the other one for that lower level? Edward Jones specializes oh, yeah. in smaller investors. Okay. I love how you put it, specializes in smaller investors. But I would think just the fact that you are saving anything. Would getting started is the hardest part. Say that again. Getting started is the hardest part. After after you walk in and tell the person what it is that you need to happen, it's so much easier to go back or to go in for an annual review and say, hey, you know what? I have a little bit more money to save. What would you recommend that I do with that? And then you don't have to figure it out. Okay. Okay. And the deal is, 
regardless of what you pay, and it sounds like it's fairly nominal, you would not be saving that money. It is likely that you would not be saving that money. You would not be building that nest egg without that person. That's true. So, you know, one of the highlights of my career is I had um, an older lady who lost a job and she was about 63. So we helped her roll it over and we looked at her expenses and we looked at her social security and all this stuff. And before she left, she decided that she really didn't need to get another job. And as she was walking out of the door, she looked at me and she said, I want to thank you. She said, I know you don't remember this, but 15 years ago when I came in, you told me that I wasn't saving enough for retirement. And I went back to my house and I upped my 401k and she said, if you hadn't told me to do that, I would be looking for another job. You know, a financial advisor is going to look at your situation and tell you what you're not doing. Which I would think a lot of us, that's what we're so terrified of, right? But I also believe that once you know it, you probably think it's worse than it is, number one. Once you know it, there must be something so freeing about knowing, okay, this is where I am and I can build from here. What about the shame? I'm sure there are a lot of women who are like, I can't do that. I can't possibly go in there because it's so dire and so bad. (laughs) I have seen it all. I (laughs) trust me, no matter what your finances look like, I have seen worse. (laughs) Yeah. Don't be embarrassed. Um, And, you know, the fact that you admit that you need some help with this, it takes a brave person to admit that. Well, and ultimately we all want to help, right? So, If you're a financial advisor and that's your job, I would much prefer to help someone that I really feel like needs the help and is appreciative of the help and, you know, understands how important it is that I'm in the picture to help them than someone who, you know, could go anywhere and really doesn't care. Right. I do actually have clients who do not need my help. They just like a second opinion. It is Mm -hmm. a lot of fun to help clients that I can really make a difference in their future because they really need my help. Michelle, I wish you were still doing this because I think you'd be perfect for so many of us. Okay, what else? What other tips or advice can you give us? Bill paying. Okay, so bill paying just seems like an overwhelming task to a lot of people I know. So the first thing is, um, don't make this any more difficult than it has to be. So, you know, when you go into a store and they, and you get to the checkout and they're like, if you open a store credit card, we'll give you 20% off. Say no, don't. You don't need any more bills to pay every month. Okay. So stop giving yourself extra bills. Okay. And those Bills that don't come every month are actually harder to keep up with than the ones that do come every month. Okay, so I recommend that you have two credit cards. And I also recommend that you only use one of them. Okay, so ADD people are forever losing stuff. I get it. It's a calamity if you lose your credit card. So keep one spare, okay, but use only one credit card that cuts your list of bills down a whole lot. The second thing is 
my bank has like everybody's got bill pay now. There is a feature where you can set up a bill to be paid automatically every month, which means you don't have to wait for the bill for your mortgage, which is the exact same bill every month, and then sit down and write a check, put a stamp on it, mail it off. Okay. Just on the first of the month or whenever you get paid, okay, make a list of bills that are recurring and that are the same every month and just do them all at the same time. That way, the only bills that you have coming in that are variable is stuff like credit card bills or maybe like, I don't know, cable if you bought some movies or whatever. You can knock out most of your bills automatically that way, either having them paid in advance or making a list of what they are and just doing them all at the same time. That's really good advice, though. If you make a list of what you're expecting then you know like every month to check it off and make sure that it came. Because I can imagine if a bill, you know, let's say it gets lost in the mail, I wouldn't even remember. Gosh, I, you know, if it weren't for my husband. Right. Yeah. Um, the other thing is eliminate optional bills. Like um, our vet will either, um, you can either pay them right there or they can mail you a bill. Like write a check. Like don't give yourself something else to do next month. The other thing is, I think budgeting is super hard for people with ADHD. And I have to confess that I don't have a budget, like not I, ever. I love to hear that, actually. Okay, so how do you do it? Well, I um, pay all of my bills at the beginning of the month. And I put the money that I want to over in savings. And then I just spend whatever's left. <laughs> okay. So you pay all your bills, you put the, the money that you've allotted for savings into savings, and then whatever's left is what you're allowed to use for the rest of the month. Correct. So if you have a hobby that you just love and there's something big that you want to spend money on and it uses up most of what's left, that's fine. Okay. Just understand that like you don't have any more money for the rest of this month, which means you can't go buy stuff for another hobby that has to wait for next month. And, you know, if you're running low on money, I mean, it's beans and rice for the rest of the month for you. So, okay. So or, or this is not the month to go shopping and replenish your wardrobe because you already spent all, all the fun money. So that is the bright line then. This is the amount of money you have for the rest of the month. You figure out how to make it work. Right. Okay. I have to tell you a funny story. So when we were first married, keep in mind, I'm married to a banker, right? And he literally would balance his checkbook to the penny every single month. Understand that I never have, and you're going to be appalled, but I had two checking accounts when we met. And when one got so awful that I couldn't even deal with it, like I just didn't even know where the bottom was, I would go and use the other one. And then once that one got out, and so I would go back and forth between these two checking accounts. And so, <laughs> I mean, huge warning sign to my husband, right? Or my fiance, well, my boyfriend at the time. And I remember when we got married, he said, okay, so this is what I want. If I'm going to manage the money, I want you to give me a receipt for everything that is 50 cents or more. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that makes my head hurt, crazy. I never, <laughs> I never did that one time. I was like, you've got to be kidding. This is ridiculous. 50 cents. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I couldn't do it either. Yeah, no way. But, you know, he just, he really wanted to literally manage it to the penny. Now, of course, it that never happened. And yeah, 
I, so I don't did think, all combine finances. You know, he just handles all of my, yeah, all of the finances. And so this year was the year that I decided that, okay, I know that he's managing it, but this is the last piece of my ADHD puzzle that I really need to figure out. And so it's going to go from this year into next year, but I am, you know, handling my books, my numbers, all of that. And I'm still not great at it. And it still gives me some anxiety, but just the fact that I stared it down and realized that it's not that I can't do it. It's that, you know, I've built up so much emotion around money and managing money, which is such an ADHD thing. And you do talk a lot about, you know, emotion and money. And so instead of just diving head in and dealing with it, I've just sort of, you know, had this attitude that, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And then so much shame around the fact that how old are you and you still can't do it? Uh, (laughs) I just really, really disliked it, but I'm discovering that I'm actually, I'm actually quite good at it. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, I've always loved quality, but I have this real gift of never paying full price for anything, but getting the same quality. And so that part of it, I've always been good at. I don't, like, I'm not a spendthrift. I don't needlessly throw money away. But because I like quality, the things that I do buy tend to be expensive. So I'm going to move it into next year. But I'm really proud of even, and, and it permeates to everything, right, as far as confidence. And once you start addressing it and dealing with it, I don't know. It, it, it definitely, it affects everything. So I do think it's really important. Okay. So what else? Anything else? Let's see. Um, okay. So be careful about if, if you're having trouble regulating your spending, I recommend that you try spending cash instead of credit cards. So credit cards and also debt takes away the pain of paying. Okay, so and I thought I got this tip from Dave Ramsey, and I have to admit, I thought it was stupid until I tried it. Okay, so I found that I was buying, you know, stuff I didn't need, which was then cluttering up my house. So it was like a double whammy. So I gave myself a fun budget of, I don't remember, like $200 a month. Okay, $200 a month I could spend on whatever I wanted. Okay, but after that, I wasn't allowed to do it. Okay. So I found that a, there was a whole lot of things and it was cash money that I would like take it out of my cart and put it back on the shelf. When I realized it sounded like a good deal until I realized that I was going to have to pay for this with $20 bills. Like it really is a reality check. So if you are If you feel like you're spending frivolously, make yourself count out dollar bills for it. I promise it'll change your perspective. The other thing is that what I want you to understand about debt and impulsive spending is that you're robbing your future self for what your present self wants, okay? So I'm just going to use the example, like, I really want one of those, um, like, gator things for my yard, you know, it's like a a four-wheeler with a little cart in the back because I do a lot of gardening. Yeah. So they're like $17,000. Okay. (laughs) So I'm either, in order to like decide whether or not I really need this, okay, I'm A, either going to have to take this money out of savings or 
you know, they'll probably finance it for me for $500 a month. Now, studies show the new wears off in about six months. So that new car that you think is awesome, six months from now, it's just going to be that car in your driveway. That you're still paying for. That you have to pay for for four and a half years more after it's just the car in your driveway. Okay. So I'm going to have to pay $500 a month when I no longer think this gardening cart is cool. Wouldn't I rather spend that $500 a month on something else? I can pretty much guarantee that in four years, I'm not going to be happy about all the restaurants I don't get to go to and all the vacations I don't get to go on because I'm paying $500 a month for a a gardening cart. You know what I mean? Totally. So what you're doing is you're putting a pause in there and then you're asking yourself, is this still going to be worth it when I'm paying for it X number of months or years down the road? Right. It is a toy. One of my rules is I don't finance toys. If you have to have it, if it's a house, if it's a car that you need to get to work, you can finance it. I'm not financing a toy because a year from now, I'm not going to get very much satisfaction out of it and I'm still going to be paying for it. I love that. And I mean, it's just so important for our brains to build in those pauses. So it makes sense. And I also completely agree with your pay with cash. It is so interesting to me. When I get cash, if I go to the bank, I tend to get it in big bills, like at least a 50, but usually a 100. And it's amazing to me how long that cash stays in my wallet. And I don't spend as much because I don't want to break it. And it means something. You know, it's a it's $100 versus if I put it on a credit card, oh, no big deal. I read the most interesting study and they quizzed college students coming out of a bookstore, okay? And the students that came out of the bookstore who paid with cash could tell you to the dollar how much money they spent on their books. The kids that pay with a credit card have no idea, which leads to that unpleasant surprise when you open your credit card, you don't remember spending that much money because it didn't hurt when you paid for it. It makes so much sense. So much sense. This is fabulous, by the way. I just, I have so much positive emotion talking to you about this. And this is a subject that incurs a lot. I don't even know if incurs the right word, but um, engenders a lot of negative emotion for me. There's just a lightness that you have around it. Again, I wish you still did this. So I want to know, what are the ADHD traits that you feel are responsible for your success in this area or just in general? I guess my ambition, but I also love investments. I love explaining to people how they work and easy ways to take money in their financial system that's not doing them any good and turning it into an asset or eliminating something easy that turns their finances around. Like, I love solving problems. And, you know, you you commented that I've been in this business for a really long time but my favorite thing is solving problems and I get to solve problems for people every day. And every person who comes in has such a different situation and it's fun. 
That's a very ADHD thing being, you know, that your strength <laughs> is solving, <laughs> solving puzzles, solving problems. So what do you still struggle with as far as ADHD symptoms? Oh, staying on task. You know, the computer at work is a huge rabbit hole for me. You know, I can't do anything without it, but there's so much fun stuff to do on it. You know, like <laughs> there's always something interesting going on in the market and there's, I'm an economics junkie. I love seeing how money moves through the economy and what causes people to start spending or stop spending and all. There's so much of that stuff on our computer and it's so much more fun than doing actual work. <laughs> so you have um, that love of learning thing going on that many of us have as well. I do. What do you think the key, Michelle, is to living successfully with ADHD? I have made myself my favorite experiment. And to be honest, this particular trait, I'm sure, drives my assistant bonkers. Okay, so I'm always looking for a way to hack myself or my ADHD. You know, so we've tried different desk arrangements. We've tried different things to keep me on task. We've tried all kinds of things to make me better at doing my job, but I'm continually trying to, um, gosh, sometimes circumvent my myself, <laughs> but make my life more streamlined, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what is your number one ADHD workaround? This is going to sound insane. Um, I, make <laughs> <for it. laughs> I make decisions in advance. So I find it absolutely hilarious that some of my friends think that I'm very disciplined and I'm not. Decisions, I tend to analyze them to death. And so I find that if I make them in advance, then I don't have to think about it. So like when the question comes up, do I need to work out today? The answer is yes, I do. Like, I'm not even allowed to think about that because something's going to come up a couple of times this week where I won't be able to. And so if I tell myself that I have to work out every day, I'm probably going to do it four or five days a week, you know? And let's see. So if I go to a, I don't know, an ice cream parlor that's got 57 different flavors, my favorite flavors that I never get to eat at home are lemon and coffee. So that's what I'm having. Or if I walk into a souvenir shop and they have 87 different color souvenir t-shirts, you know, my favorite color is turquoise and purple. So if they have those colors, that's what I'm getting. Do you know what I mean? So I don't waste a whole lot of time making decisions that I could think about in advance, if that makes any sense. It makes total sense. So you have built structures and you have learned that these structures work for you. And so you make your decisions around that structure that you've already built. Right. So I, I like used to hate shopping because shopping to me was sensory overload. And I couldn't look at every item in the store and have any idea what was going to look good on me or what I needed or that sort of thing. And so this is hilarious. I, do you remember that show, What Not to Wear? Oh my God, totally. With Stacey and Clinton? Yes. So I watched that show obsessively and figured out what my rules are. And now I walk into the store and I know what I'm looking for. And so shopping is no longer like an anxiety producing activity because I have a goal. I know what I'm looking for when I walk in the store. 
It makes perfect sense to me. And I think a lot of that also comes with age, that we buy so many mistakes, right? That we finally yes. say, you know what? I'm going to go back to the drawing board and I'm going to figure this out. It's kind of like why, is it Simon Cowell only wears black t-shirts and I don't know, does he wear jeans or maybe white? Uh, no, he wears black t-shirts, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, Michelle, I am so delighted that you came and shared your expertise with us here today. Now, true to form, Michelle, who isn't really Michelle, has an anonymous blog. So if someone has questions of you regarding this podcast, they can go to your blog, right? That's true. And what is it called? It's called she'sfired.com. It's not really a finance blog. It's because I am retiring early and I had a lot of anxiety about this. And so I just needed to write it down. And so, I mean, while I was writing it down, I figured I might as well make a blog. So I did. So it's shefired.com? She's fired. S-H-E-S-F-I-R-E-D.com. That's what I had written down. But of course, I read it wrong. I will have that in the show notes. So, Michelle, we know you have ADHD, so there is absolutely no way that you're going to retire and just fade off into the sunset, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I need to know, what are your plans? So, I thought, you know, I might, I love the teaching part of my job. I love explaining to people how finances work, how investments work, that sort of thing. So, I thought I might teach at the university. But um, if I could, I'd like to ask your listeners. So when I found out that you were an ADHD coach, I was thinking, can can you be an ADHD coach just for financial stuff? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And this is why it's taken me a year to find someone to come and speak to us because I know of one guy who does this. I don't know of any women and I wanted a woman, but it had to be a woman with ADHD. And we're going to listen to you because you're one of us. Oh my gosh, Michelle, you need to do this. That would be amazing. (laughs) And I would be your first client, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. So... Retirement's been good for my ADHD because I'm no longer in a hurry all the dang time. And, you know, I'm interested in absolutely everything. And because I was working 40 hours a week and I have two teenagers, I didn't have time for any of my interests. You know, for the first time in years, my garden looks spectacular, you know, and I'm decluttering my house and I'm tackling all those interests that I've always had that I didn't have time to do. So, of course, my my husband asked me the other day what I was going to do when I ran out of cabinets to declutter, and um, I don't know yet. (laughs) But isn't it wonderful to have the time to think about it? It is. It is. And honestly, I have a bucket list, and I have quite a few pages to go before I have nothing to do and need to do something else, I guess. Michelle, I'm jealous. Anyway, (laughs) thank you so much for coming and spending time with us here today. That is all that we have for you for this week. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you like this episode with Michelle, please let us know by leaving us a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they can discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews, they really help in that regard. 
One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Of course, that's my email. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.